Welcome back to March Mad Men, you lovable lunatics. We actually called it a night, came back 24 hours later to record our final death match of this episode. Just giving you a peek behind the curtain there, but I think it's going to be a doozy. This one comes from the meta category where we've grouped uh, films that in some way change the rules, deconstruct uh, old paradigms, or otherwise in some way comment on the slasher film itself. And with that in mind, let's get to it. Final Destination 2 is the first entrant into the arena, and this is a three seed, so it's got some weight. It's expected to do well, and it's going up against a scrappy underdog that's pretty under the radar, um, as I understand it, The Furies, which comes in as a 14 seed. Mike... Tell us about Final Destination 2, man. All right, so Final Destination 2 is a New Line Cinema movie that came out in 2003. was directed by David R. Ellis, and I think that he did a fantastic job on this film. Uh, he had His background was in stunts, but uh, he was also doing a lot of work as a second unit director. It, that That is exactly the guy that you get for a film of this nature because so much of the joys of this film hinge on uh, geography, action cinematography, following uh, you know exactly where things are within the filmic space and where they're going, what they're doing, giving the audience plenty of opportunity to track exactly who's where what's where, where it's going, dot, 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 dot. You know, stuff that, you know, is, is pretty much your bread and butter if you're a second unit director. So, I, you know, script and character-wise, I they're indicative of films of this era. Uh, it's, we're still kind of in that post-scream sensibility. Mm-hmm. So yep. everyone's kind of a snarky person. Uh, everyone's very uh, self self aware and self knowing, <laughs> but I, I I find the film just kind of generally genial and charming. And I will say this: that opening sequence is a humdinger, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by and because in this one, plot wise, what happens is uh, we have our plucky protagonist, and uh, she is driving along to do a thing like, you know, it, it, it's a kids in horror movies trip. So, you know, they're, they're, they're going away to do something fun. And, uh, what do you know? A, uh, log truck, the chain comes off and the logs start flying all over the highway. Uh, a lot of people die, including her and all of her friends, but no wait, it's actually a premonition. And uh, she realizes that this is about to happen, and she stops up traffic behind her, keeping several herself and her friends and several of the other people who would have died in this thing from actually dying. But what do you know? 
death itself has decided that it was kind of their time, their number had come up. And so from that point forward, each of you know, these people who should have died that day on the highway uh, fall victim to bizarre Rube Goldbergian uh, weird shit happens and they die in, in weird ways. So it's um, the main joy of this film, I think, is just watching the pieces fall into place as like each little object surreptitiously falls into some specific direction in such a way that the the pieces kind of line up like dominoes. And finally, the characters get killed from un, some weird, unexpected direction. Now, what's interesting about this is uh, it's it's 03, so we aren't yet in the season where everything for this audience needs to be PG-13. It, it's a movie that still takes a lot of pride in the gore on the screen. Uh, we get a lot of gory deaths, and uh, they're, they're spectacular. Uh, there's one in which a bomb goes off. And a barbed wire fence cuts through a guy and it hacks him into several pieces. Yeah, which is a wonderful thing. I I actually saw this film in the theater. I remember clapping at that because, you know, that's just the kind of guy I am, I guess. But uh, it's like, this is (laughs) um, in terms of business. Now, while I was digging into the production and history of Final Destination 2, I came across a really interesting factoid about this movie that you guys might not be aware of. And it turns out that Final Destination 2 is actually a sequel to (laughs) another movie called Final Destination. I thought the two was like... Your it's your final destination as well. Holy shit, this is a right. sequel? Yes, it is. <laughs> Not only that, but it wasn't the only sequel to this movie, Final Destination. There are like five of these things. So ironically, now, uh, this was not the final destination. No. Huh. It was not. Or was not. Breaking or, news or to the show. world here. <laughs> <laughs> I um Weirdly enough, of these five movies, uh, Final Destination 2 did the least business. I know. Uh, Blows my mind. Business-wise, is a budget of $26 million. It grossed worldwide 90 which is, you know, nothing to sneeze at. But still, I mean, uh, in, in comparison to the other four, uh, this is apparently the run to the litter, uh, box office-wise, which is, again, it's strange to me. But um, this this movie has a couple of soft spots in my heart. For one, I know two of the producers, uh, Craig Perry and Warren Zide, back when they had a company, Zide Perry. I'm still, I, I mean, we don't hang out and play poker every weekend or anything like that. But I'm, <laughs> I'm friendly enough that like I could like send them an email and probably get a response. You know, it's like they're they're both super duper friendly guys. You know, uh, hardworking gentlemen of the Hollywood industry. And uh, Final Destination, the first one, was actually the first movie that I saw after uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, my girlfriend at the time and I visited L.A. while I was still trying to figure out if I was moving here or not. While we were hanging around, we went to go see him. We decided, hey, let's go see a movie. We're in L.A. Yeah, we're, we're in Hollywood. Let's watch a movie in Hollywood. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Final Destination was like randomly. I'm like, yeah, let's go see that. 
So thoroughly enjoyed it. And for that reason, the Final Destination franchise says, you know, I've got a soft spot for it. In fact, um, uh, the last time I had a meeting at Craig Perry's office uh, several years ago, uh, he mentions in the course of conversation, he was like, you know what the funny thing is? Final Destination is the billion-dollar franchise that nobody talks about. I mean, these movies have collectively grossed a billion dollars. But it, does anyone is you know who, who's talking about Final Destination? Nobody. I mean, like we put out these movies, they make tons of money. I mean, apparently, like people like to go see them, but you know that they don't have like the same cultural footprint of say, you know, Friday the Thirteenth or even Scream. You know, so. Oh, by the way, like you know. when you you mentioned the box office, it's not like okay, that's the low watermark, but it's not like the the series was in jeopardy or something because this yeah. movie didn't do yeah. well. Like it did fine; it just happened to do the bottom yeah. of something has to be at the bottom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, it 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 made the least amount of profit of the five, <laughs> but yeah, it, it is um an enjoyable film in a franchise that I enjoy. And there there was a moment where. Uh, when I was talking to Craig, like he, he yeah, I mean, of course they're they're trying to think of you know what would be the next one, and uh, they had several ideas, and one of them was like, I mean, you know, not to spill the tea or anything like that. It was several years ago, we we're just throwing around ideas, but like uh, apparently there was a thought of like doing it like in a, on like a pirate ship, like a shipwreck kind of a thing, and, and doing it as a period piece. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, I, just to change up the dynamic. Of, yeah, you know, instead of like six or seven, you know, suburban-ish kind of people get hassled by death. You know, let's put in like a period thing. You know, set of characters that we haven't seen. Can they all be yeah. like eighteen years old, kind of horny and drunk pirates? <laughs> <laughs> well, there is something also fun about watching i've seen this movie a grand total of three times once in a theater once randomly on netflix and then uh, a couple of nights ago for this podcast and watching it again i uh, after several years i uh, i was amused by some 2003-isms um i mean obviously the tech there's like a lot of like uh you know the little nokia phones that people used to have i, I was also amused when we have a very standard beat early in the process where there are a couple of stoners and there's a cop behind them and they're really scared. You know, I can't get busted with my weed, man. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, obviously these days weed is pretty much legal as well. It should be, you know, but it is, you know, that, that, was, that was kind of a trope of horror movies and, and also comedies, you know, for a really long time. Oh shit. The cops. I yeah. got weed on me, bro. We're going to get pulled over. <laughs> Yeah, you got to you know, eat it or yeah. throw it out the window or flush it or something. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I think Super Troopers kind of burned the stage on that on that trope. But mm -hmm. anyway, so that's Final Destination Two. Should we talk about? Should I intro the Furies or should we talk about Final Destination Two? Uh, well, I think Vic was going to introduce the Furies. Okay. Good. Yeah. Uh, and, and that. Let me just posit this. In terms of I mean, again, kind of circling around to the fact that uh, David R. Ellis was a second unit director. I think that was a perfect man for the job. But also, uh, the between his work and the work of the film's editor, uh, Eric Sears, uh, I would call that that opening sequence with the logger truck uh, almost a masterclass in terms of of 
that that kind of filmmaking of, of, of very you know keeping everything very clear, organized, kinetic, dynamic. But uh, like we we always know where everything is and what's going on at all times, even in the midst of an extraordinarily chaotic scene where vehicles are kind of chroming off of each other, uh, people are getting killed left and right, da 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 da. There's multiple explosions. Um, you know, you you never once lose track of anything that's going on. Like if if I was teaching like a directing one on one class, I would show this sequence to the students. Uh, I mean, it really is like that much of a you know watch this and uh, watch this and learn. Uh, it's pretty brilliant in its own way. Yeah, so. it's a cinematic masterclass of film grammar. That sequence. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes. I, I do have to say so, this is a happy accident, and that's not a pun, and I regret the pun already. But because we waited 24 hours to do this show, I had some extra time to dig into this. And mm-hmm. I I regret to inform you, apparently, that David R. Ellis died in a suspicious circumstance, which sounded like a Final Destination movie. He just died in a bathroom with in in like Mexico or something, without any kind of explanation, like apparently of natural causes, but obviously young. Mm. And um, that that kind of cast a pall over this tonight as I was watching it because I agree with you. I was thinking about his work on this film and what he brought to the table. And yeah, we just we don't know what kind of career he could have had, but but unfortunately, you know, call it death's design or just one of those weird Hollywood situations. He he died in a way that sounds like you know something out of one of these movies. Yeah, I, I, and like you said, it was very young. Uh, I, I want to say it was maybe 52. Uh, and I believe he actually passed away in Johannesburg. Okay. Uh, they, oh, yeah, uh, that's right. South Africa. Hospital. Right. And uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, the reasons of the cause of death was undisclosed. You mm-hmm. know, so yeah, it, it was just a situation where he, he just kind of died, uh, which is. Very, uh, I am not only sad for his friends and family, but also unfortunate for the world as uh, a whole because he's a very talented guy. So Agreed, agreed. Yeah, you know, there it is. But uh, anyway, so yeah, Final Destination 2. I, I, I find this movie to be a hoot. And in fact, I, I, I like that. One of the other things that I like about 2 is it's playing to the audience's understanding of the first movie. So... In each of the sequence in which a character dies by these these strange coincidences, what it'll do is the the scene will set up like often multiple ways for the character to die. Like you think that the character will get killed by this, when in fact they get killed by you know the thing that the the object that happens like three minutes ago, and because you know the you know via editing we're actually like placing those things. It is we're not saying that death is like making like two or three tries and failing. And so it tries this, it fails, it tries this, it fails. It's actually maneuvering the character through this extremely convoluted set of coincidences to get to the actual death, which they never ever see coming. The one, and uh, the perfect, the perfect example being um, the first one, the the lottery winner guy, which I, I found him to be a really interesting idea for a character because he's just one 
the lottery. He's like the super, but he's still like, he's just won it. So he's still in his dumpy one bedroom apartment. <laughs> he's still, and, and, and it's funny that he's blowing all of his money on like douchey bullshit. Um, and, but, uh, at the top of that sequence, he tosses some, he randomly tosses some spaghetti out the window and, uh, suddenly like, you know, uh, he's, his hand gets caught in the trade trash, Display, you know, compactor and uh, shit sets on fire and da 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 da. You think that these are the objects of of death's demise for him? When in fact he finally manages to escape. He goes outside. He slips on some spaghetti and the the fire escape ladder lands and impales him through the head. And I, even though I haven't seen it, you know, the, like I said, I've seen this movie three times. The last time before this most recent time was like maybe ten years ago. But still, to this day, every time I walk under a fire escape, I, I, I glance up at the ladder to make sure that my head isn't directly under right. it. It's, it's true. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's kind like, of a... Like I, I don't give a shit about ladders or black cats, but like fire escape <laughs> ladders, because I saw Final Destination 2, I'm just like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, it, it creates a threat vector that you have to worry about in your, in your environment. Go ahead, Vic. I definitely see memes on uh, the horror groups that I'm in on, on Facebook of like a, tr- a logging truck with no one behind it and 50 people in the lane next to it. And it just says everyone in this lane has seen Final Destination 2. And yeah, it's just, but you're, you know, you're talking about 20 years later, like that's that opening scene really has had that kind of impact. And I literally... Um, I had to I had to uh, uh, procure a piece of equipment called a trencher from um, Home Depot, and it essentially looks like a giant giant two hundred pound chainsaw that you mm-hmm. use to dig a trench in the ground. So we put it, folded all the seats down in my in my my car, put it, got it inside the car, so it was like behind the driver's seat. Ooh. And I looked at the guy after we got it in there. I said, man, if this was a Final Destination movie, I'd be on the edge of my seat right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's a kill like that in this movie later on. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, though I Mike mentioned like the sort of it's all death's design. There is one sequence that I wanted to bring up. I know we need to talk about the Furies first, and we'll get back into this. But I, I have to say... The whole dentist office sequence is somewhat of yeah. a counterpoint to what you're saying, though, because it sure looks like death is trying to kill that kid in the dentist chair. And that's not at all what happens, but we didn't need all of that stuff just to put him out with the birds. If you if you know how the sequence ends, like he yeah. could have just had a normal time in the dentist chair. He's going to go scare those birds. And right. So mm-hmm. yeah. I, I kind of feel like death is. I don't want to completely disagree, but I feel like it is it is going to throw shit at you, and maybe somebody saves you, maybe you save yourself, but I think it's more like a shotgun approach, and okay, fine, you got, you got past the first one, but it's going to keep bringing the thunder. Yeah, I, I think that... Um you know, in the uh, the spaghetti sequence, uh, you know, the spaghetti is kind of death's ace in the hole in that one because uh, if the guy doesn't get his hand out of the the trash thing, then he could have just burned alive right there, or you know, an explosion. Which, by the way, would have fit you know. would have fit his death in the premonition. So maybe that was death's plan A. Is that remember he burns alive in on the road? 
And right, but right, the yeah. fact that he gets out of that means that the spaghetti, yeah, is the ace in the hole, the plan B. But mm-hmm. but it would have it would have mirrored better if he if he burned. Yeah, I, I did. There, there's an, another beat that made me laugh out loud, and that's when our protagonist is going to see Allie Larder, and uh, she's walking down the hallway, and like the doctor is like, yeah, "Do do you have you know all, all these items on you?" Da 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 da. You know, standard stuff. You know, do do you have any sharp objects in you? Do you have you know la la la? And she was like, uh, she's not dangerous. And she is like, no, she just doesn't want any of that stuff in the room with her. And I'm like, that's clever. That's good. Like, like uh, in order to escape death, she literally spends her whole life sitting in a padded cell. Of, of course, the script has to go the extra mile and have her go, it's like you're dead already. It's like, yeah, okay. That's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. We get it. <laughs> All right. But, um, I, it's it's a charming movie. Uh, I, I enjoy it. As do I. All right, well, another charming movie that I enjoy is The Furies. Vic, tell us about it. Charming is not really the word I would use to describe this. <laughs> That's fair. You know, some segues are better than others. It's true. This are The Furies, 2019, written and directed by, I'm going to fuck this up, Tony D'Aquino. Um, the logline is that two friends, one adventurous and one anxiety-ridden, are kidnapped and forced to play a bizarre game in which they're hunted by masked men in the Australian outback. This was a hard movie to find a lot of information on, uh, being a relatively obscure Australian slasher. And unlike a lot of the movies in this season's competition, I think its strongest element is really its concept. Uh, on the one hand, it has a very distinct sort of saw-like flavor in the hook of people being kidnapped, waking up in a strange environment, operating on rules that we don't understand. But the revelation of what those rules are is what drives the story beyond just the, the life or death struggle. Most especially, uh, and John, I don't think you're going to get mad at me because this happens fairly early on, the revelation that there are beauties, the kidnapped women, and beasts the marked men that are hunting, the masked men that are hunting them. But each man is also assigned a beauty to protect. So if their beauty dies, their protector dies, his head explodes. There's a lot of weird tech in this, too, that doesn't entirely work or at least hold up to scrutiny. So the women realize that if they just kill the other women, it's much easier than killing the armed maniacs that are stalking them. And that introduces an element that I think is almost akin to the thing in which even those who should be working together to survive can't actually trust each other. Um, the machinations between the, the characters really becomes fascinating and develops a lot of levels once that element gets introduced. I think that's really one of the things that sets this apart. It doesn't always work, but on the whole, it really drives this to another level. Now, combined with the outback setting, again, there's some sci-fi, sci-fi elements in terms of the technology that's involved. It's generally effective, but I like I said, I think you can't really look at it too closely or it starts to fall apart. In particular, there's an, an element involving uh, uh, the protagonist's uh, seizures that that uh, doesn't really make any sense, but works, again, for the within the context of the story. I think the performances are good. I think there's some exceptional gore. Uh, one of the deaths involving an axe to the face belongs in the pantheon of great slasher deaths. Dude, uh, not Whoa, to interrupt. Yeah. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! That that kill, 
really made me sit up and take notice because I, you know, you know, ordinarily I, I watch these movies because I find them uh, funny. Like, uh, for for instance, mm-hmm. there's a lot of gore and terrifier, but I'm just kind of I, I watch that stuff in a somewhat detached manner. I'm I'm more appreciating the the craft that goes into making those effects happen than I am like the yeah it, it's just you know stuff right that one with the axe when he's just slowly oh, pushing the blade into into the the skin under her jawline I it, it's the first time in a really long time that I saw a kill in a slasher movie that really made me like kind of cringe and be like oh my god what the fuck yeah in the in the past with these like last season we then did awards i mean we've always done awards mike you know you've been on a lot of awards shows but this is the first season where i'm like really trying to take notes along the way as soon as that happened i put that in a word doc like nominee best kill of all of yeah. in, in the slasher tournament you know it's that that's good. really good yeah mm-hmm. yeah I mean, look, there's not a ton more to say. I just I think this is a uh, as we've all pointed out, this is a relatively unknown slasher. It's a, a, a I don't think it qualifies as a Shutter original, but Shutter picked it up. So that's really the, the I think the only place to see it. But it really exceeded my expectations. Uh, I did want to point out because we've had a lot of discussions about this. Uh, I, I stumbled on a critic for a website called Alternate Ending, thinking that perhaps there was an alternate ending to this. There is not, that I'm aware of, anyway. But uh, this particular critic wrote, there's a difference between a violent film and a misogynist film, and the Furies definitely leans toward the former. Uh, And I would say that I agree with that. I think this is, and I swear to God, I wrote this before we had our discussion last night, but I wrote, this is much closer to The Descent, although not quite that good, uh, than it is to Slumber Party Massacre. So, uh, there's a lot to unpack here, but a lot of it, I think, is in the third act. Uh, and especially there's a, a short sort of coda that fills in some gaps in the story that I really liked. But we can't talk about that right now. So I would be happy to dig into this film further, should it survive into the next round. Yeah, there's there's stuff in this movie that uh, made me laugh. There is a scene in which, um, you know, they were being kept in, in this area because they have things planted in their heads and if they try to escape there's a, like a high-pitched whine emanates from these poles that are uh, you know around the circumference of the the kill zone right and so she's trying to run away she runs into the poles uh it gives her the whammy and so she's incapacitated momentarily she turns around here comes the axe maniac and uh, he's coming after her seemingly, but it turns out that he is in fact her protector because what happens is <laughs> a moment later, another killer comes out of the forest and he, and he sees the axe guy. He goes, and, and they fight. <laughs> uh, and she, so she's sitting there and she's wondering what the fuck is going on. And, uh, and, and then the axe guy waves at her. He gives her a little, like a little toodles. Now, uh, the killers in this movie uh, I found enormously humorous because they, they just kind of grunt to themselves. They're, they're, they're very animalistic. Like all, like all of them are just like, arr, 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 arr. yeah, like they're doing that number the entire time. <laughs> and I thought, all right, there's a bunch of these guys. What are they doing when they're not stalking girls? Like they can't be doing this 24 seven, right? I mean, is there, 
like a break room where they're like playing cards. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and I thought, all right, well, wait a minute. Where do they find I, I, it? Makes sense if you have like one animalistic killer, uh, but to have like a bunch of them, uh, like all of them a different mask, all of them different weapons, but all of them share this very yeah right and uh i i was distracted with the idea i'm just like where did they find these guys are that's a good point but uh, there there is a really interesting line and this doesn't spoil anything but there's a guy who gets threatened by the we find out by the people who run this thing there's a guy that threatens it and uh the threat is you know if if you fuck up basically one more time you will be forced to participate in the next one and that oh okay so i mean he's obviously not going to be one of the beauties which means that he will be one of the beasts and thereby like these guys aren't found they're made like uh you know they're tortured into an animalistic conditioning which is really interesting and i don't think that you know a sequel will lift one fucking finger to explore it because they don't give a shit about the male characters in the movie. There's, <laughs> I, I, I think it's, um, telling that, uh, our, uh, one of our very first shots is the protagonist or her best friend, uh, spray painting down with the patriarchy or fuck the patriarchy on a wall. And then they find themselves in this life or death scenario. It is kind of like, almost childishly minor to be spray painting, like fuck the patriarchy. And then you find yourself in a situation where you're like, like literally you're in a life and death combat with, you know, giant grunting men who want to chop your head off, you know? So it's, it it has some kind of sort of something on its mind. I will say that I have read probably 100 million screenplays in which, uh, characters wake up in some kooky scenario and they're, they're forced to battle in these cruel games or situations. Uh, yep. you know, I probably saw, I saw as a progenitor of these, but like, and it's always like, you know, uh, eventually it, it turns out that it's like rich people are watching this kind of a thing. Oh, it's actually uh, all I'm, stemming from the most dangerous game, right? I mean, there's so yeah, many yeah. movies that play, have that basic template. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's either like rich people, usually men or else it's, it's just like, you know, quote unquote, the dark web, you know, people are paying money on the dark web to watch this cookie shenanigans going on and God, we uh, could almost know, have a whole uh, tournament about that like including yeah. hostile and stuff like that right know? yeah 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 exactly <laughs> that and i've also um read a million screenplays that are kind of like playing on slasher tropes you know what if a slasher killer was in xyz scenario that 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 so it, it, it felt like, on the one hand, uh, I've seen these two sets of ideas a lot in, uh, in a lot of screenplays, and sometimes even in movies, but I haven't seen a version where they're smushed together, if that makes sense. Um, so I'm like, all right, this is like kind of familiar, but it's also kind of doing its own thing. Kind of, it, it, similarly, it's called The Furies, implying that it's going to build on some aspect of Greek mythology, but then the contestants are beauties and beasts. So it's, and again, it, it doesn't quite pick like one core 
idea to build on. Uh, it's just kind of like, wouldn't it be cool if la la la, you know? So, but you know, whatever. I, I, I it doesn't ruin the movie. It's just the shit that I think about when I'm watching these things. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it entirely lives up to its potential, especially in act three. I, I had a few issues with, I guess what, what Vic called Dakota there. I, I wanted something more, uh, but yeah, putting that aside for now, I think the filmmaking is extremely competent by slasher movie standards. And there is at least one indelible knock your socks off kill the aforementioned slow motion, slow motion hatchet to the face. The film's Ugh. concept. Ugh. Yeah. So it That's lands, tough. it lands. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. And yeah, we've seen it all. So bravo for that. The film's concept is clever. I think the acting is well above average and it's not without niceties such as character arc, theme, or emotional resonance. The things that, yes, Terrifier lacks. I wanted at least one standout beast, as the killers are called, and a better battle with said beast. But we do have a badass final girl who evolves fairly believably. Some of the movie's most interesting moments involve the interplay of the supposed final girls, the beauties, and how they approach their predicament. I think the movie does a pretty good job of delving into the moral and practical implications of their choices, the messy, inevitably imperfect outcomes of their interactions, and it doesn't boil things down into a simplistic girls versus boy scenario, even though that's that's the setup. And I think, I think as Mike alluded to, it's fair to say this is an all-female cast as far as dialogue and character interactions go until the very end. And as I said at the top, that scene feels a bit more weak and obvious than the movie preceding it. To tie back to that comment about Act 3 letting me down, I just kind of thought the open-ended outcome feels a little predictable, lacks a cathartic showdown or an ultimate challenge for the protagonist which in my estimation knocks it down a couple of notches, but I'm glad I pulled this film into the tournament. I mean, I don't think it was really on any lists or anything of, of slasher movies. And I think it does belong in the competition. And I, I agree with Vic that I think there is a lot to dig into with this one. One of the things I mentioned that I really like about this movie is the, the Australian outback as a setting and we just had a friend uh, who lives in Australia stay with us for a night or two. And as we were catching up, and she lives in, in Canberra, which is the, the capital of Australia, which I believe is where the, the credits on this are the Canberra Film Institute or something. I forgot to ask her about it. But I, I did ask her, I said, do you guys do you guys ever go out into the, like, into the outback? Like, what's it like out there? And she, like, looked at me for a couple of minutes or a couple of seconds and was like, no. Like, mm-hmm. no, we never go the outback. There's nothing in the outback. Uh, I mean, it's the way Australia is laid out. I mean, it's every every city is along the coast, and then 60% of it is just outback. Uh, and so it really does make it a compelling location for, for something like this. The isolation, yeah. I, yeah. Love, I love the location. I love the... This, the weird like mine town that they're in and the sort of weapons and tools and stuff that come into play from that. And when I say I don't like the beasts, like there's there's cool aspects to each of them, but there's no like, what do you call it? Like the 
the hero beast, right? The one that like that's the big bad. Yeah, sure. The one that you're like that guy is a cut above. And I feel like with this premise, I'm not saying they're red shirts or anything, and they each have moments, but I feel like it would have focused the premise if like there was one of these motherfuckers that she really had to worry about. And I I never quite got that feeling. Okay, I do want to double back to Final Destination because I, I have thoughts about the whole series that I wanted to get out there. It, this was the first movie was Rich's original nominee for the tournament, and I do think it sets the table for the franchise. So I watched it for the show, and I'll kind of use that as my entry because I saw it around the time as Mike did that the film came out, and I think I dutifully followed the series from there. I, I believe I've watched most, if not all, of these movies in the theater. There's something in the first one that I call the final destination kill. And I'm pretty sure I invoked that in our discussion of the orphanage last year. It involves a bus. <laughs> it's been widely, widely, widely imitated. And at least for me, maybe you guys can correct me, but that was the first time I'd seen it done. It was in Final Destination 1. So it made a big impression on me. It, it's always what I remember when I, when I see it copied, which is, it's been copied too much. I do like these movies more than the Kevin Williamson cycle of earlier, more conventional slashers. Yeah, big surprise. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I, d I don't think any of them really found their way that close to my heart originally. I think I felt that they were kind of adjacent to all the other mainstream movies populated by pretty young actors destined for success on the small screen. And I, for one, kind of miss the premise of a visible murderer. The Rube Goldberg chain of unlikely mishaps approach to killing is sometimes a bit more ridiculous than scary. Not necessarily in the second movie. And there's definitely some good, good kills throughout the franchise. But I think that's always been something that's just not my favorite way to go. And watching the first one again for the show, I liked it better than the first time, but the novelty of the premise does stand out, even though I think it feels more like a curse to me than an invisible slasher. I don't get an anthropomorphic vibe from what we see of death, but I do believe that death is a character in these films. And as far as the first one's like characters and stuff, I like Devin Sawa, Ali Larder has this smoldering, eternally suspicious intensity that she brings to the table. And I think it works better in the second movie. Again, it makes more sense because what she's been through. But I just kind of find the first one a bit slight. And I do appreciate the way that it plays with the idea, which I guess all of these films do, that we live in denial of death. We never actually come to terms with its inevitability until it's too late. I do feel like the movie asks the viewer to stop and ponder the fact that it's much easier to die than we like to admit. Even if you're not a cop or a soldier or you're living in a really bad neighborhood or something. And I think that's a very interesting and worthwhile thing to focus on. Final Destination 2 
fires my imagination more. As any good sequel must, it ups the ante on everything. It goes a little crazy. It doubles down on the premise in some fun ways. Cinematically, it's just much, much more striking and visceral than the first one, or most of these. The deaths are vastly more elaborate and dynamically staged. If you want to compare, there's two kitchen deaths in this movie, in these two, the first two movies. And yeah, while the second one ends up under a fire escape, that's kind of my whole point. That scene played me like a fiddle. And there are several showstoppers where whether it's just the tension, the staging, the coup de grace, whatever it is, I just think that marvelous execution is something that makes Final Destination, again, no pun intended, that uh, makes the, those scenes so great. And as as Mike said, the obligatory epic disaster that sets everything in motion in FD2 is far more technically and conceptually impressive than any of the other ones in my book. It's a great, great sequence. More twists and turns along the way. The characters proactively try to cheat death, taking the little premonitions that the new lead character receives, and she's trying to interpret them. And, you know, like we could talk, not in a non-spoiler show, but, you know, the way that their understanding of things evolves and, you know, you find out that death is working backwards. And I think mostly it all works pretty, pretty damn well. And those complications aren't as ridiculous as you often find in in sequels. And I, I thought watching it, again, like I felt that a lot of the logic holds up to some degree and, you know, makes this movie smarter than it seems on the surface. So I'm, I'm definitely a fan. This franchise would work better if there was a curse and like a central mythology uh, besides like yeah. death just wants you to die you you didn't die when you should have so death is gonna finish the job because without that central mythology like like a curse would provide every film is kind of weakened by the fact that the the manner in which they have to save themselves because you know part of you know a, a part of the story of a film like this is something it something weird is killing us how do we uh, you know a, a, a how do we figure it out how do we stop it and because it's death as a whole, and everyone is going to die, there's no re- true stopping of death. But you have, you know, there's no way to like truly, quote unquote, not die, right? So, so the characters are left to be like, all right, well, what do we do, because you know, about this? Because if the if we if we don't give the characters something to do, then the only there there is no story. It's just murder set pieces, right? So. We have to give the characters like some win, some solve that they can at least like kind of strive for, and it's all because I mean again without like a curse that has like a set in stone like this is how things work da 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 da, it's it, it always feel like really weak and arbitrary. Uh, like uh, I don't know well, if these we, we're gonna save this baby, if we save the baby then death won't be after us anymore and it, it feels really perfunctory it, it it sounds like the kind of thing where like you're you're pitching the idea in the room there it's like oh well what do the characters do in act three how do they save themselves uh i don't know maybe it's something like this yeah okay good yeah <laughs> oh well i will say though that tony todd puts that idea in their head and we should of course yeah. say something about tony todd like it's yeah. he's chewing scenery so well in these oh, first yeah. two movies 
he's picking pieces of the scenery out of his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 he he puts that notion in their head, and I, to me, it somewhat holds water. It's a way to save themselves. Like they're not really thinking, let's save the baby. It's like this. This is a way that could logically stop what death is doing if you introduce a new life. Like I, I went with that. I went with that. Yeah. I, well, did, yeah, I, it, did, I did not. Ah. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it's a curse, and it's like the wording of it is laid out that, you know, ye shall die unless, you know, X, Y, Z. And it's just like, oh, you know, what do we do? You know, here's my, you know, Mike's central theory of horror movies is, <laughs> is uh, uh, every horror movie has three acts. Above and beyond the standard Sid Field three act structure, Act One is the characters don't know that they're fucked. Act Two is they know that they're fucked, but uh, don't have an idea of of what to do about it. Uh, we are being haunted. We are being stalked. We're in trouble. And Act Two is about figuring out what to do about. It. Act Three is doing the thing. Right, and you can apply this to any subgenre, almost any horror movie. La 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 la. Uh, you know, for instance, very frequently in uh, slashers, especially like Friday the Thirteenth movies, you know, Act One goes on for a very long time because the characters are getting killed, but they're getting killed in such a way that the other characters aren't aware of it. You know, Where, where's Johnny? I haven't seen him all day. You know, kind of a thing. And it's like, and uh, to the point, I would say that in so many slasher films, the final girl. Yeah doesn't even know that anyone is dead until beyond, well beyond the halfway point. Yeah. J- Jamie Lee Curtis in, in Halloween, uh, she goes over there and, and she's deep in act three and, and, you know, in slasher movies like acts, Mike's horror movie, three act structure acts two and three are, are often like kind of smushed together because it's a human antagonist and like it doesn't take a whole lot of figuring out what to do about a human it's either kill him run away go to the cops get on an airplane you know that's that to that you know you'll see more much more striking in supernatural movies where it's like okay um the ring weird's going on yeah exactly uh something weird's going on okay now i know that i'm fucked what do i do about you know, and you know the in act two that that is the a story is like you know at plot point one uh, oh no, I am fucked, and I believe in the supernatural thing. At you know, Act Two, which takes up you know the majority of our runtime, is what do we do about it? You know, and uh, and then finally, uh, you, the twist of the ring. Spoiler alert: is uh, <laughs> is she figures out she does something that she thinks solves it. And actually, it doesn't. It's just like no, she's just an evil ghost. There's no curing this. Well, one one of the Fuck cool things you. about the ring would be like she pretty much knows she's fucked immediately. Like the movie yeah. starts that whole process from the start. It's just that the whole path of like trying different things and finding out what may or may not work yeah. is the whole movie, which actually makes it one of the more dynamic movies from the protagonist perspective. Yeah, and you you can even apply this to. Um, you know, even classics like, you know, The Shining, where, uh, you know, uh, uh, Wendy, for a very long time, doesn't know that she's fucked. Then, then she realizes that she is fucked. And, and, you know, The Shining is kind of a, a interesting hybrid 
uh, because it's both a slasher and a ghost movie. It's a haunted house movie. Um, one of the best, so I hear. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I'm being yeah. funny. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, to uh, stick another bone in Rich's cry. Uh, since he's not here to defend himself, I, I think you guys are high for including Final Destination in the, in the slasher genre. It's not a slasher at all. It would, I, and and I, I recall, you know, I was very drunk at the time, but I, I vaguely recall that his understanding that he gave me was it's it's like death itself is the slasher killer, and I would buy that if like the people being being killed were being slashed to death. If like an, an invisible scythe was coming down and lopping off people's heads, then yes, he would be correct in that regard. But due to the fact that these people are being killed by, by complex accidents, uh, I would say that it's far more akin to the yeoman and no one ever in the entire history of human species would call the yeoman a slasher movie. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 it's in some ways you can, might even say that it's a supernatural version of Saw, and I, Saw is debatably a slasher movie. I, I, I think it's it's somewhere within the area code of slasher movies. It, it, it adheres to a lot of the same ideas, but is killing people with like traps and accidents a slasher movie, or is the definition of a slasher movie? a galoot with a melee weapon wants to murder you. I think that if, if Rich was here, he would probably say he's been trying to push against traditional notions of what defines a slasher film every step of the way. If it was up to me, like, yeah, it would be a very narrow, uh, parameter. But I, I think part of the interesting thing about it is, you know, make, making you think outside the box a little bit. And even though, like, and, and this this was in our episode 100, but um, that segment was lost to time uh, due to yeah. uh, editing. Yeah, and, 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 and sadly, <laughs> due, due to the amount of vodka that I consumed in the course of that, uh, it's it's also lost to uh, my, my own time. Uh, but but the like argument I, was somewhat that it the, the film is structured like a slasher movie in some way, but... Uh, yeah, I, I, I disagree with all of that. Uh, and, and that isn't like me poisoning the cookies on, on Rich's concepts so much as it's just like, you know, ghost movies have a ghost in them. You know, if, if we're going to talk about a sub genre, let's define what the sub genre is and then have the conversation within the parameters of the accepted tropes of that sub genre. So as much on the one hand, as much as I thoroughly enjoy Final Destination 2, it is not a slasher movie. I'm not going to vote for it to be one of the best slasher movies. Okay. So the Furies, you know, uh, 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 spoiler alert, uh, the Furies is going to get my default vote purely because, yes, it is a slasher <laughs> movie in a conversation about which is the best slasher movie. So fair enough, this. fair enough. Okay, uh, yeah. Vic, you haven't said much. Uh, we haven't given you an opportunity to say much about Final Destination. Um, yeah, what what do you have? Well, I, I don't know if it's a slasher film or not, but I will say that at this point in the competition, I needed it. Like I got excited when I saw that that was on the list for the for the next episode, and not like 
Intruder or Slumber Party Massacre 2 or like I just my my brain needed something a little further outside the box. So I don't know if the, I don't know if the listeners feel that way. Uh, I, I honestly this is one of the ones because we had so many again, Mike, we I don't, we talked about this in episode 100, but we spent so long and so many conversations trying to define the slasher. And it got I mean, it, it just you think that it's very simple, but like every time somebody says, well, all right, well, what about Saw? Okay, well, right, Saw's not a slasher. Okay, but Saw's not a slasher. What about that? You know. What about Candyman? What about Henry Portrait of yeah. a Serial Killer? And so on. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I do remember having that conversation with you guys. I just don't, but the details are funny yeah. because of vodka. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I mean, I, so I like this movie. This is the only Final Destination movie that I own. And so I was. It was nice to be able to go to my DVD shelf and uh, and and pick it off there to be able to watch it. But I, it didn't hold up as well watching it this time. I find the mythology incredibly clunky. Uh, again, Tony Todd's intonation that only new life can stop death. I mean, that's I don't know. That's pretty. That's pretty corny, man. Uh, that's that is not that is not a plus screenwriting. But Mike's right. You have to give them you give them some kind of faint hope uh, for how it's for how it's going to play out. And so, but you don't so you don't come to these movies for that. Like you come for the Rube Goldberg death scenes and the violence and the you know the slam bang opening scenes and you know I like you, John. I've seen I probably haven't seen them in the movie theater, but I think I've seen all the Final Destination movies or at least most of them. And they really do a two a one. They follow the formula, and it's a they've got a recipe for success, and they they execute it. And David Ellis is great at at executing it. Uh, I know he did the Final Destination as well, which I recall was not as good. But another thought that occurred to me is that style of filmmaking, uh, and you see it in the first one, but I do feel like this is where it gets perfected. When they are pulling up to the the freeway and she sees the truck go by and mm-hmm. then the song comes, the highway to hell comes on the radio and then the stoner kids drive by them. And it's like everything goes into slow motion and they create this weird vibe that something strange is going on. And it reminds me exactly of the first time that the girl leaves in Happy Death Day and she walks outside and right. the spring cut on and the and then the 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 soror the uh uh fraternity pledge faints mm-hmm. and it's like this there's something to that that style of the the shooting and the audio and the uh, again if you're using a little bit of slow motion but not a lot and this movie i think like i said i'm not gonna say he introduced it but i feel like this really perfected it as a way of introducing just this strange vibe into sort of supernatural horror that your character realizes something's uh, something's going on. Yeah, I, I, I love that, that slow build of dread where the camera is telling you that these mundane things are going to be important. You just don't know how or why. And because it, it, you know, it doesn't announce exactly how it's going to be fraught in the very near future, but you do get this very sense that you're watching the pieces of something fall into place. You're listening to the ticking of a, of a time bomb, but you don't understand what it is until (laughs) it actually happens. And, And then 
uh, part of the joy is watching those pieces fall into place. Like like a really well, it's 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 the vi- visual cinematic language of a, a thriller with a great twist. You know, uh, yeah. where you go, well, wait a minute, she wrote the letter. You know, like you know stuff like that. So, nah, it's yeah. good stuff, man. I love, yeah. I, I really dig that shit. So it is this this is for me I think the apex of the the franchise and like I said I whether or not it constitutes a, a, a slasher film uh, a I'm I'm glad to have in our 64 films you know a couple of movies that are sort of pushing the boundary of what actually defines a slasher film but b like it was just it's just nice to to have something that feels a little different. I don't know. The, the, like I said, I just, my, my brain needed it. I hope maybe our listeners needed something, you know, a, a little something outside of that, but it's a palate cleanser. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very, very well put. Yes. So with all that said, I think I'm going to vote for the furies. I really liked that movie. And I think ultimately final destination is a, a showcase for the filmmaking and the kills, which it's which it's fantastic at, but I don't know how much more I have to say about that. Uh, I think Mike's right there. The, there, you could have done something different with the mythology that worked and felt more organic, tied into the characters more or something, because uh, yeah, the characters are very bland in this as well. Um, and I think the Furies does all of that stuff better. Yeah, you know I. It, as a sidebar, a little bit, uh, I, I did have the thoughts. I, I, I again, Final Destination Two was not a slasher movie, but I think in in a weird way, it crosses a certain Venn diagram in terms of giving the audience uh, multi varied and interesting kills. And I bring that up because it, it is like you know, you know, end of the day. Why do we like these movies? Why do audiences go to see these movies? And I remember when I was, you know, in junior high, high school, slasher movies were still like kind of, kind of the main engine of the horror genre. And very often, I would have conversations with my friends that was basically along the lines of like, "Dude, did you see the new Friday the Thirteenth? No, no, not yet. Why?" Is it good? Yeah, Jason. There's a scene where Jason like takes the thing and he shoves it in this girl's head and then and flips her around and da 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 da. And yeah. you go, oh, these movies are a font by which we can watch interesting and varied murders. And uh, the Final Destination movies do kind of scratch that same you know geek show edge. And it's hard to uh, point you put your finger on another horror subgenre that is as focused on kills as slashers, right? But clearly, yeah. Final Destination is all about the kills. I totally am with right. you. Yeah. So there, there, yeah. So it is like a, the audience is showing up to watch you know, a bland and slightly obnoxious young characters die in interesting ways. I, I you know, like we were talking about yesterday. There, there is a certain. Um, justifiable sadism, I think you could call it. And uh, we, we give the characters just enough obnoxiousness that we, we don't mind watching them die. Um, and that, that is an and important thing always in these films is that people sometimes criticize the characters and stuff, but isn't it a bummer to just watch people you like get murdered? I mean, like it's not an accident that so many of these characters are obnoxious. They're trying to make it fun for the audience to to watch them die. Like, and I don't, I don't right. criticize that. 
I don't criticize. Yeah, that. there 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 is a certain emotional crescendo to uh, watching a uh, liked character mm-hmm. die, mm-hmm. and I I don't think that you can play that card all that often. Like for no. instance, I you know in Hell in Hell Knight, I, I really I, I you know Seth was an interesting character to me because I you know on the surface he is posited to at first be exactly the kind of obnoxious character who's pretty much set up to die. He's he looks like a red shirt at at, at the top of the movie because. You know, he, he's kind of a horn dog. He's kind of like, you know, da 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 da. But then, the movie keeps giving him more and more stuff to do. He's got this uh, this really fun surfing monologue. He turns out to be like kind of a nice guy. Like he like we spend all of Act Two watching his very sincere efforts to save his friends. <laughs> and it's like he's a very active character. He's running around. He's doing this. He's doing that. So by the time that character dies, you're just like, oh. Dude, not Seth, man. Come on. Come on. But it's kind of weird. Like when he's climbing that fence, it's kind of like, yeah, 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 sure, sure. sure. I'll get you help, but I'm, I'm getting out of here. You know, like there's a, yeah. there's a weird dynamic in that scene, though, I noticed as well. Well, I, I, I did like that um, uh, because they, they brought in Linda Blair to be like obviously be their ringer, in, in, at, least, at least in terms of sales. Uh, but, you know, she tries to get over the thing, too. Like, uh, you know, they're looking for opportunities to give her character something to do. Um, and she's only stymied because her dumb rich boyfriend is just like, you know, I guess we've got nothing else to do but sit here and wait. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> dude, what the fuck? Get out of there, man. What are you doing? Okay, well. Like, fly in a helicopter. But, um. <laughs> Just because I watched it for this show, I do want to say, like, a little one sentence or two about final destination three. And I think it kind of just puts into perspective how hard it is to keep cranking out sequels. It's not abysmal, but like that one's clearly a weaker copy of the old template. I will say the tanning bed kills are pretty cringe inducing in a good way, but the tension is just generally lacking in that one. The characters are more annoying, which again can be fine, but I don't like it like half the scenes are Mary Elizabeth Winstein Winstead telling people what's going on and they're just like being really sarcastic and stupid while literally the body count is growing before their eyes and they should take her seriously. But there's still some good kills there even as the formula is is feeling tired. So I don't uh I don't regret watching it. Oh, one other thing and I think Mike is on this page with me. These movies toy with without fully committing to the stupid horror movie thing of naming characters Luton and Carpenter and shit like that. I'm not a fan of that. Um, they don't completely I, I, do I it. Yeah. yeah I, I, I remember being amused by like the first once or twice I noticed something like that. Like, uh, yeah, there is uh, an old Brad Dorf movie called uh, uh, Death Machine. And I, I think that's the one where, like, I like very clearly I know some of those, like, oh, Ramey, Carpenter, Romero. Oh, okay, yeah, I, I see what they're doing. That, yeah, that's funny. That's a funny thing. Um, and that uh, film is generally pretty fun. It's pretty entertaining. Death but, Machine? You know, but Yeah, Death Machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but since then, I you know, dude, I've read a million screenplays where they're, they're playing that card. And it's just like, no, just stop don't do that please people please don't do that all right vic um give us write 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 a script that's so good that someone else puts your name in their in their (laughs) shitty screenplays do do that instead yeah 
Vic, uh, final thoughts on these on these two films. And I will say before you go, I'm kind of glad we didn't talk about the Furies as much because we're going to be talking about it again, and I'm 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 psyched about that. John, did you cast your vote? Um, I don't need to because you both voted for the Furies, but I I am also and thank you for um, for pointing that out. Um, I'm voting for the Furies as well. All right, John. I keep a I keep a tally on the uh, on my 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 chart, so oh. you know I, I do I do keep tabs on on which ones are unanimous and when there's a dissenting vote. It's like uh, it's like Minority Report in that way. <laughs> well, you know, in my notes, I put I don't know, leaving this up to the conversation to determine, and I don't normally do that. So uh, I, but I think that Mike made a good argument. And as much as about it not even being germane to the competition, Final Destination, but also I do really like the Fury, so I yeah I don't I don't feel the need to cast a protest vote or something for Final Destination. Yeah. All right, is Final Destination three the uh, the one with the roller coaster? Yes. Oh, Texas right. Battle is in that, by the way, Mike. Uh, that, that, that's why I brought that up. I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah. I remember that he was in the one with the roller coaster, but I couldn't remember if it was three or not. Yeah, yeah. I, I was a co-producer on a tiny, tiny, tiny little independent movie in which Texas uh, starred, or co-starred, I should say. And uh, that was written by Adria Lang, uh, who has gone on to be a very successful writer in television. So, yes. uh, which which comes as zero surprise. She's extraordinarily talented. Absolutely. But, um, uh, you? Yeah. So she was on you. Yeah, uh, I think she's working on uh, Fancy Island now. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my six degrees of separation. To in uh, along with Craig and and Warren, that's my additional six degrees of separation to the Final Destination Three. But, and um, apparently, he has a charity, Texas Battle, like a South African uh, youth charity. So that's cool too. Oh, yeah. Cool. Right yeah. on. Probably we are all of them. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure David Ellis uh, passed on at least one of my scripts. So that's my <laughs> yeah. My six degrees of separation. Oh man. <laughs> did, did, did did he artfully shoot him? Uh, shoot, shoot a little scene in which he throws the the script into the trash. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. But then the wind catches it, and we watch the adventures of your your passed on screenplay fly around town. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a guy smoking who walks by, and he asks right. the trash can. And right. yeah. there's always a leak of some kind, like some water's dripping on electrical. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> All right, Vic. No. Um, anything else on either a film? Like, give us a wrap up here. It's a lot of pressure, John. Make it good. Uh, wait, no, I got it. I got it. All right, hang on. Uh, uh, testicles. <laughs> wait, what? Boobs. Sorry. <laughs> 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 um, no. uh, I mean, look, like I said, I'm glad that we had a chance to talk about the Final Destination franchise. I think Mike's point is is really important. It is like uh, like Scream, like the Conjuring universe, which we've had to talk about. Uh, earlier in this con- in this season with Scream and last season with The Conjuring, like having a large cultural impact is sort of important. And the fact is, people are still talking about that log death scene in the in the opening of this film. Like that's an iconic moment in horror, and it deserves a uh, it deserves a conversation 
from some some super horror nerds like us. By the way, I just want to interject that if we did the Omen, it would be involved in some kind of Satan exorcist kind of season. Like I don't know exactly what season this would fit into because it's not like it's not about the devil. So it it was kind of looking for a home, and that this might be as good a home as any. Yeah, you know. Now that you bring that up, I, I do agree with that sensibility. So uh, l- l- let me walk back my hard-linedness. Yeah, because it, it is uh, a unique enough setup that it it is like, where do you put this exactly? Um, so yeah, I, it's not technically a horror movie, but it's like, where where else do you put this thing? So yeah, in that in that sense, that argument does make sense. I get it. I get it. Yeah. So, John, if you're going to ask me to, uh, to to wrap up, just please don't fucking interrupt me, okay? Because now I have no idea what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, shit. Sorry, man. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, what, uh, what I believe I was going to say was that I do really like the, the diamond in the rough, the movies that you haven't seen before, and you pop it in and go, holy shit. This is this is at least pleasantly surprising, if not outright amazing. I mean, I don't think this is quite going to fill the shoes that Terrified did on uh, last season. But it's in that it's in that ballpark of a movie that I had never even heard of, uh, and really came out of it going, "Wow, there's a lot going on there." So I'm excited to watch it again, and I think it's going to be it will be fruitful in uh, in the next round. And I think the Furies really is a meta slasher movie you know it really is yeah. adding an overlay yeah, yeah it, it is very much uh like terrifier it's drawing on the tropes of the slasher genre in order to tell its story so are, are you guys doing wolf creek in this season no um damn that could have gone in though i didn't even think of it yes it absolutely could have. It, it's it's oh, absurd fuck. to me that that uh, if you're gonna have an australian slasher you're gonna talk about the motherfucking furies in that wolf creek yeah <laughs> i know i just had a little heart attack because i like the first two very much but I, I i don't okay full disclosure when we were first like just canvassing looking yeah. at lo, you know lists of slasher films and it didn't come up. Okay, let me try to guess. He's not wearing a mask. He's he talks. He's more of like a a criminal in some ways. He's not based on a real person, which was my first hope. I, I maybe he's based on a real person, but I don't I don't know that. Loosely based, I think. But he doesn't fit. Like he's not a galoot. He's not. He doesn't totally fit the paradigm. Like, but on the other hand, we have, um, what do you call it? Tourist Trap has a literal, like, Leatherface aspect to the film. Mm -hmm. So I think it, even though, yeah, like, it's it's not a prerequisite that your slasher has to be a, a, a silent galoot. But I do think once you start getting into, like, yeah, I could kill you this way, I could kill you that way, but I'm a sociopath, I'm Patrick Bateman, I'm whatever. I think maybe he would fit more in that realm than Michael Myers, right. Jason, Leatherface, whatever. You know? Right, right, right. So he, he's a little bit closer to uh, American Psycho, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, and 
uh, you know, seven if you want to stretch things a little yeah. bit. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think he could okay. fit. He yeah. could fit into other realms pretty comfortably. It's not like well, yeah. it's slashers or nothing for that guy. Yeah. I, like, right, so hypothetically, uh, if you, the next season was to be devil movies, right? Yes. Uh, there, there is the sub, sub, sub genre of slasher movies in which the slasher is a demon or someone uh, inhabited by a demon. So I'm talking about, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, uh, Exorcist Three, the first Power. Couple others come to mind, but I can't remember their titles. See, but, um, I think yeah, that the so. presence of the devil trumps other aspects. Like even if the devil possesses you and you're a slasher, I think like the fact that the devil is in there means that that's probably where you belong. Because we could yeah. we could have a whole tournament about just the movie movies with the devil as we think of him. Right. You know, in right. some way. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, food All for thought. Means. <laughs> well yeah, mike as always I, you've you've made us thank you brought a lot to the table really appreciate it man thank you we hope to see you again here show enough all right are we, are we wrapping are we done is that it are well, you wrapping the gavel before before we go i do want to tell the listeners uh only two matchups are remaining to be resolved in the first round of this tournament friday the 13th part two a sixth seed in the peak franchise Regional goes up against Nightmare on Elm Street 3, the 11 seed. So Friday versus Nightmare, Freddy versus Jason. That'll be fun. And Dario Argento's Tenebrae in the Dark Horse category goes up against a much newer film, Haunt. A couple of interesting conversations there. I'm looking forward to it. If you enjoyed the show, everybody, please give us a review on iTunes or wherever you post about your podcasts. Feel free to reach out to us on Facebook and the March Mad Men group. Hit me up on Twitter at uh, John F underscore Evans. Share your thoughts on the movies we've discussed, the booze we drank, or whatever else you want us to know. Until next time, stay crazy, y'all. Adios. Adios.